Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out with weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. One of the... One of my favorite things about being a, a campus minister in our denomination with RUF <clears throat> is that I get to go to a lot of different churches to talk about RUF, and I get to worship with a lot of different churches, and hear a lot of different kinds of singing and prayers, um, different facial expressions, um, different uh, kinds of people wearing different kinds of clothes. And I love being here to worship with you and to hear you sing and to hear you pray. And I think Grace and Peace has a particular, I want to say this before I get into the sermon, this is a particularly special Sunday for me because Tanner Crum uh, was the campus minister at Wofford uh, all last year. Um, and not only did he do a great job to get me ready uh, to do well this past fall, but he's become a dear friend of mine. And, and Tim Udaj um, worked with RUF for a long time. And um, as a rookie minister right out of seminary, um, his voice with experience uh, I need that voice right now, and um, he's also been a dear friend um, that's been a quick friend. Um, So it's just great to be with you on more of a personal note. Our text, of course, this morning was just read, Psalm 126. You know, there's some moments I'm convinced as um, I'm getting closer and closer to 30 that are just nothing short of miraculous they're nothing short of miraculous. Like you just don't have words to describe some moments that we have when we experience them. Weddings are like this. So when the bride and groom makes eye contact for the first time, when she walks down the aisle in her white dress, you can't really describe that moment in words. When athletes win championships and get championship rings and gold medals, they don't really have words for the, that moment. And if you've noticed, this is why... Once, the, uh, once they have the ring or the championship, uh, uh, the ring or the trophy, and the, the game is over, these, these, common, these commentators, these journalists will come up to them and ask them very general questions. They usually don't have anything substantive to say to them because they're at a loss for words. But we know after the wedding, the daily grind of married life begins. It's time to do dishes. It's time to pay bills. And after receiving the trophy or gold medal, it's time to, pre- time to prepare for the next season. And so the daily grind begins. And as the people of God, we are those who have experienced the miraculous from God. We've been redeemed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we, we've been walking with the Lord for very long. We've had seasons of life where God's presence was palpably felt in a profound way and really shook us. Do I need to move this? Okay. So here's the thing, we have experienced the miraculous from the Lord, but the daily grind of following God and his kingdom oftentimes is a tearful endeavor. 
And so we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, but oftentimes our lives are characterized by tears. And this is what's going on in Psalm 126. This psalm recounts God's people who have experienced the miraculous from the Lord, but still find themselves in a state of distress and they're crying out to God. That's what's going on in this psalm. And you might find yourself, as we have been confessing our sin and as we're going to get into what it looks like to complain to God, there's all kinds of brokenness out in the world, in our culture, in our country, in our state, in our churches. You might find yourself suspicious of the psalms this morning. Maybe you're thinking something like this, you know, Matt, I heard that the the Psalms are poetry. There's no theology in poetry. Give me the Apostle Paul. Take me to 1 and 2 Corinthians or Romans. They can actually help me live faithfully in a broken world. And I get that. There's all kinds of imagery in the Psalms that uh, is confusing to understand. Um, The Apostle Paul can maybe more clearly or in a more clear way kind of orient us to live faithfully. But I think the Psalms are uniquely apt to help us live faithfully in a broken world. And I hope that we get a sense for that this morning. But it's important that we know what the Psalms are. The Psalms were Israel's hymn book. God's people in the Old Testament sang the songs like we're singing this morning in order to effect change in their hearts that they might lean into the world in very particular directions. The Psalms are not poems that merely express the individual author's experience only, though they do that oftentimes, but they're what one scholar calls public poetry. Public poetry. They're intended to change the community at large, everyone who sang them, not just the worship leader. They help people lean into the world in particular ways. They show us how to pray, how to address brokenness and chaos in the world, how to address God after we've sinned, how to celebrate His law, how to devote ourselves to living in coherence with his good creation. Speaking of the role of the Psalms, one commentator puts it this way, and really poetry at large in the scriptures. Poetry deals not just with information, but also with our experience of it. Its purpose is to help us to rejoice over something, or to, or to mourn over it, or to enjoy it, or to act on the recollection This is what the Psalms do for us. And I mentioned that the Psalms not so much gives, again, just give us information or um, systematic theology or really tight, airtight theological categories, but it, it gets at our insides, our affections, and it wants us to be shaped in very particular ways. And as we kind of get into that, it's important that we know what kind of Psalm this is. This is Psalm 126 is a Psalm of community lament. And lament in the scriptures is essentially complaining to God about circumstances that you're dealing with that you don't like. It's simply crying out to God. Like in Psalm 13, you've heard these words, How long, O Lord? It's when you look at a situation and you say, I don't like this, God. Change it. It's a very raw emotional experience when you're, when you're praying this. That is what lament is. But it's important that we know that in lament, we not only express our emotions in a very honest and raw way to God, but we have our emotions shaped. So the intention is, I want to change here. I want circumstances to change. I want change to happen. And so Psalm 126, we see this sort of shaping dynamic at play in two ways. And the first way is this. This psalm pushes God's people to reflect back on God's mighty deeds in the past. 
This psalm wants us to reflect back on God's mighty deeds in the past. Look at verse 1 again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And so what we read in verse 1 is that this, the people that were singing this song experienced something miraculous from God. And it's difficult to know exactly what that is. It might be referring to when they were, they were t- returned or rescued from Babylonian exile. Or it might be just referring to a general time of, of rescue. But either way, um, this change was miraculous in their lives. And they were like those who dreamed. They didn't have real words to describe this experience. It was too good to be true. But the people who sang this psalm were a people that were deeply in tune and in touch with the past. They knew that their relationship to God had a history, right? And so this act of looking back on God's mighty acts in the past, it's not exclusive to Psalm 126. If you were to read all 150 psalms, you would see this habit of looking back, even when you're complaining, but looking back about where have you been with the Lord? What has He brought you through It's all over the Psalms. It's all over the Scriptures. And we actually do this all the time. So we do this in relationships. We reflect back on the loyalty of a spouse or a close friend when we celebrate anniversaries and birthdays. We reflect back on answered prayers. When we do this, it actually makes us long for more answered prayers, more joy, more laughter, more blessing. And so our cries of how long, O Lord is deeply rooted in the fact that we have tasted in a very real way that the the Lord is good. But I think if we're honest, we would admit, I know for me, I'm so far less rooted in God's faithfulness in the past and more controlled and driven by like what's going on right now, my present circumstances, just what I'm feeling at the moment. I'm far more controlled by that than God's history with me. And so when I spend my time, energy, and prayers, most of the time they're just consumed by my feelings. I'm kind of an emotional guy, and I just kind of stay in my head and heart. What's going on right now? But as the people of God, we are invited to be a people, to be deeply in tune with our history with God, in tune with the past. And we can be freed from being captured by our present circumstances. We don't have to be driven and controlled by what's going on right now. We can be honest about it. We shouldn't ignore it. But we should not act like we don't have a history with God. So I want to ask you this. When in your life has God acted in a mighty way that just shook you up? When have you had seasons of intimacy, walking with the Lord and His Word, where you couldn't even get through a psalm without tears in your eyes? Has that happened to you? I want to invite you to develop a kind of a habit of looking back over these seasons and moments of your life and not to ever let yourself become numb to those moments. Those weren't just, even, and I think it's easy, I know for me, when I became a Christian my freshman year of college, and to look over those young convert years and be like, oh, this naive young Christian guy, you know, like that's the good stuff. And that, did I, I've grown since then, of course, but I, I don't want to get numb to that. 
So I want to invite you not, not to be numb to these, these sweet moments that you've had, sweet seasons of intimacy with the Lord. And I also think this, this act of looking back, this reflecting back on God's deeds in the past can inform the way that we relate to each other in the church. And so when a brother or sister comes to you about a current circumstance or situation that, that's distressing and sorrowful and that's really intense, we can actually lament to them, with them, and complain with them. We don't have to skip over it. We don't have to like quote a Bible verse to them and say to pray about it. We can actually say with them, how long is this going to happen? How long is this woman going to be in this situation? How long is this pattern going to go on in this marriage? How long is injustice going to be in our country? We can say that. But we also have to say, do you remember, brother or sister, when the Lord did that a month ago in your life? May we remember that as we're saying how long. Let us be captured by that moment a month ago or two months ago, or six years ago. You have a history with the Lord. Let's get, all, let's get caught up in that history. So we're to reflect back. It's not the only way. The second way that we're to be shaped according to this psalm is that we're to look forward. Not just look backward, but look forward to where we're going. Look at verse 4 again, starting in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Speaking of imagery, there's all kinds of imagery uh, in these few verses. We're going to kind of walk through them. One of my favorite things about this psalm and the psalms in general is that the Psalms are very realistic and honest. And the psalmist in Psalm 126, he's a realist. He recognizes that labor in the kingdom of God involves tears. He's just, that is assumed in this psalm. And this is a great thing because the last thing that the psalm is trying to do, again, is skip over or minimize the horror of suffering. Commentator puts it this way. It's clear that in Psalm 126 that the ones who wrote it and the ones who sang it were no strangers to the dark sides of things. They carried the painful memory of exile in their bones and the scars of oppression on their backs. They knew the deserts of the heart and the nights of weeping. Christian faith never demeans our tears. Christian faith commends our tears commends our tears. But here's the thing, and we'll get to this as we develop more. We have to know that tears never have the last word, according to the Scriptures. Tears never have the last word. And so this, this labor, though, there's a sowing. Do you notice this? this? This sowing that's going on with tears in our eyes. This sowing, this, this labor is not arbitrary. It's a very specific kind of work. These two verses show us two things, I think, about the nature of our work in the kingdom of God. Um, Not only that it involves tears, but first, our labor is in God's world. Our labor is handling the stuff of creation. And second, our work is good work. It's good work. We are to sow and tend the garden just like Adam and Eve were called to do. We are carrying on that original creation 
act that was good. God called it good. This means that our obedient labor is to be done in our kitchens and classrooms, cubicles and backyards. And this is a good thing. This is not like an unspiritual thing or not sanctified enough or not holy enough. It is just as good as being in your prayer closet with your Bible, doing dishes, the daily grind of following the Lord. This is good work. And so we are to keep sowing, even in our tears, but doing so expecting that certain things are going to happen, that we're actually going somewhere. We labor looking forward. So I just want to say, you might be here this morning and... Your labor in the kingdom of God, your vocation, your family life, your, your life with God in the scriptures and in prayer and in worship, it might seem really unfruitful right now. I don't know what you walked in here with, but you might just fe- seem really discouraged this morning in terms of, is anything really happening? Is the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Like, a lot of my work seems really mundane. Is it good work? I just want to say, I want to encourage you that according to this psalm, this labor, not, not only done in tears, but the, in God's good creation, this seemingly mundane work that we're doing in the kingdom of God is good work. And so in the life of Grace and Peace Presbyterian, you're sowing in this season of your life, you're giving of your finances, you're praying together and listening to one another, your small groups, your Bible studies, your repentance, your outreach to your neighbors, this is good work even if you have tears in your eyes during seasons. But why do we labor? Why? What is, what are, if we're looking forward to something, what are we looking forward to? As the people of God, we labor because we trust that tears and sorrow will never have the last and final word. We labor in the kingdom of God with tears in our eyes, knowing that the light will indeed overcome the darkness in the world in our country, in our cities, in our churches, in our families, in our hearts. In this psalm, there is a profound confidence that what happened before, we were like those who dream. It'll happen again. It'll seem too good to be true. We'll be able to see and taste the goodness of the Lord. We will be with God in an eternal kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. In that kingdom, there will be no crying, no heartache, no shame, no racial division, no addiction. This is why we labor. We labor and weep in the kingdom of God, expecting this to happen. It is not up to discussion. The last chapters of the Bible paint this beautiful picture of where we're going. The psalmist surely has that in mind as he's looking forward. May we look forward to those chapters the future coming of our King, Jesus, and His reign secures this eternal home, our life with Him. And in this kingdom, all that mundane tending of the garden stuff we're talking about, it will be consummated, and it will be flowering out, and we won't even be able to speak. That is what we're looking forward to. And so at the beginning, we we talked about the Psalms and poetry, how we might be a little suspicious of how they can be helpful right now. And this is a lament psalm where we can complain and be honest. And the Psalms want to shape us. 
backward and forward to reflect back on God's mighty acts in the past and then continuing laboring, yeah, even in our tears, but we do so looking forward to the coming new heavens and new earth. One very practical way, and I'm aware that you guys do weekly communion, I know in my own life how I experienced um, this in a, in a very practical way in the life of the church when we were in St. Louis for seminary. It was the, one of the first times where for a significant season of our lives we had weekly communion at, at a church. And it, there would be, I'm so glad our church in Spartanburg does it. It would be really difficult not to do it. I've just gotten so used to it. But let's just think about what is actually happening, happening when we come to the table every week. We are forcing ourselves to reflect back on who God has been in history in a very particular kind of way. We're doing this. We're reflecting back on God's faithfulness in the past. And so no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our lives, we are reflecting back on God's mighty acts in the past, the body and blood to inform our everyday lives and to inform the future. Because what happens at the end of the service after we've reflected back? There's a benediction. And we open our hands and we're sent out, right, to sow some more. Maybe more tears. Actually, certainly more tears. But we do knowing that there will be another meal. Where God will be the host Himself. And there will be no symbols anymore. We will be with the Lord and we will see Him as He is. So, brothers and sisters, grace and peace, Presbyterian Church, I pray that in the life of of the church, in this young church's history, you're developing a history with God. As grace and peace, Presbyterian Church, may you develop habits as the psalmist wants us to, and as the Lord wants us to, to be in tune with your history with God. May I be someone who looks back on God's mighty acts, but also look forward to where you're going. And every week when you come to the table knowing there will be another meal and you won't have the words for it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church this community of imperfect people that you have called righteous, amazing. Thank you that we have a safe place where we can come to you and be honest about the brokenness in the world and in our own lives. We don't have to ignore it. We don't have to minimize the suffering of our tears. But we can name that And you want us to. Thank you that you are a father that that longs to hear our prayers in an honest and raw way. Lord, thank you that we have a history with you. That the scriptures really are a, a testament to your faithfulness to your people for a really long time. But thank you that we also have a future. That through our teary eyes we can see the coming meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. What amazing news this is. Give us uh, an imaginative faith for this coming kingdom. 
Lord, do this, we ask, through Christ. Amen.